This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And is she like in her 20s? I think she's my age. Okay. So she's in her 20s. <laughs> she get, get fucked. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And And I'm I'm a writer, writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Elle Nash, who is the author of the novel Animals Eat Each Other out on Dezank Books, which was featured in the 2018 June Reading Room of O, the Oprah magazine, and hailed by Publishers Weekly as a complex, impressive exploration of obsession and desire. A small collection of stories, Nudes, is forthcoming, is actually out. Is it out, Elle? It's, it's coming soon. It's okay. very, very soon. From short, short flight, long drive books in 2021. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, her short stories and essays appear in Guernica, The Nervous Breakdown, Literary Hub, The Fanzine, Volume One, Brooklyn, New York Tyrant, and elsewhere. She is a founding editor of Witchcraft Magazine and a fiction editor at both Hobart Pulp and Expat Literary Journal. Welcome, Elle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm We're very so excited to have you be here on this Yay. wonderful podcast. Yay. Um, we're so excited to hear you read. What do you have for us? So I have an excerpt of something longer that I've been working on for a really long time. Um, the excerpt is called Hit Me Baby One More Time. And yes. I will start from the top. L, is this inspired by Queen Brittany? Um, uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah, well, I'll read it and you can tell me what you think. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. In the room, I start my show. A few people enter, chatting as usual. I pull up an app onto the screen with my goals. 200 tokens, top comes off. 500 tokens, bra comes off. 1,000 tokens, vomit on cam. Blue text materializes above me on the screen, alerting me of a few new subscribers. The sound of coins dropping into a slot machine. I turn on the tub faucet, wet my clothes, begin to peel off a pair of socks. E calls from the kitchen. She's home early. It was infectious. I had recoiled at first, but the longer I thought about it, the more I wanted to go back. Do certain words affect the body? The desire inside me takes and ticks and ticks. In bed at night, I feel it start at the center of my forehead and move outward, a tiny pulse. I know where it is operating, a quick light throb down to the edges of my fingertips. 
I am awake and then asleep again within myself. I reach out for E and her back curls away from me like rolled paper. My mind is merely looking for something to engage it. I cannot disengage with myself. And I prefer the internet because I don't like having a body. I position myself on the rim of the tub, laptop set on toilet seat and lid down. D27 asks for a private message and sends me 50 tokens. Will you let me mod for you, D asks. I'd seen the username around a fair bit. Dia dropped a few high tips over the last few weeks. I decide to accept. On screen, my face moves closer to the camera, the sound of typing, my tits. D27 is this month's mod, I tell the room. Don't fuck with me or you'll get banned. And stop sending fucking dick emojis on chat. More blue text, the sound of making money. D27 sends another message, which is how I know he's a man. You shouldn't vomit on cam, D says. You're better than that. You could be working for a studio. Please don't lecture me on what I should and shouldn't be doing, I type back. I will ban you too. It's uncomfortable to watch. My comfort is absolutely more important than your freedom, I say. The room was silent and no one had tipped in a while. A door sweeps open, the swing of keys, ease heels, and her voice from the hallway calling my name. I go shopping. I put things in the cart I want. Two pounds of purple potatoes, some rye bread, fig bars, some fruit. I get what E wants, which I consider the necessities. Enough meat for the week, popcorn kernels, cooking oil, diet soda. I walk around putting more things in my cart. I walk up to the checkout desk, then turn around. I'm doing math in my head for how much it will cost. The organic fig bars are $6, and I know I won't keep them down, so I put them back. I get kale instead. I put back the rye bread. I place the bag of purple potatoes on top of a tub of apples in the produce section. I sweep up food crumbs from yesterday's dinner and see a row of ants crawling from under the sink towards the back of the fridge. The faucet pours water into the sink all over the dishes and the sink fills clogged with food. The ants swim towards each other, grasping arms, making little ant clubs that float along the top. When the fans are on and the doors are closed, the apartment is so big, everything is far away. At night, with the dark closing in and the doors open, it's all too near. I open the room again on the campsite, same time every day when E leaves for work. The regular is D and some newcomers are on. I press my tits against the plastic container and look into the camera. Do you think if I tried forcefully to forcefully vomit into this bucket when it was across the room and I missed and we went back in time and replicated the situation precisely that I would still miss? D responds into the chat room and I lean in to see the response. I don't know what you mean, like odds 50-50, he says. I mean, if we replicated the conditions exactly down to the molecule, down to the position of the moon. I'd like to think there was a possibility you could make it. Isn't there something that says we are flashing in and out of existence so quickly that it cannot be seen? Wouldn't it be somehow different? But my hands are in the same positions. So is the bucket, so is everything. The vomit is the exact same weight and volume. Would I still miss? Someone else types into the room, tits please, and tips me a hundred coins. I move the plastic container from in front of me. D enters text into the chat. I guess if everything was the same, then yes, I think you would. So doesn't that imply that life is not random, I ask, that the conditions have to be just right for this thing to happen? And if that is the case, that life is predictable, but it is so infinitely complex that its predictability cannot be measured? 
I wait for a response and get none. If nothing is random, then free will does not exist, I say. Randomness is a perceptual issue, D says. It cannot be measured. But we can't go back in time, so we don't know that something is predictable. It doesn't really answer the question of free will. You can still make a decision and change the course of your life, D says. At what point does it stop becoming a game? E comes home smelling like the perfumes of other women. I enjoy it, not my own perfume or hers, but the smell of others more novel. I am trying to remember the last time I felt truly lost in the abandon of my youth. The sound of a jet overhead, a large empty feeling of danger, the wild eye of a cat in the dark. My greatest sexual fantasy is she holds me down and fillets the insides of my wrists open with a fish knife. I touch her breasts, the crease of her eyelid pulses. I breathe in, she breathes out like she's been running. My lungs are dry inside like a stack of hay. We are all shopping all of the time. I go to sleep and dream of her, wearing blue, feeding me coins, the usual. I can never get to her for whatever reason. The end. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. You said it was part of a longer piece? Yeah, it's part of like this long novel I've been working on for a few years that mm. I actually have been struggling to like finish. It's like the mm. one book I leave and forget and come back to over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. what is it that's sort of hard about ending it is it that like I don't want to put words in your mouth why what is it about it that's hard to yeah. come back to so um I think when I started it I feel like I didn't really have like a really good understanding of how to make a plot so every time mm-hmm. I got to the middle mm-hmm. I would like kind of stall and I didn't know like what I was doing mm-hmm. um so I even like I was actually even so um, my kid was probably like nine or 10 months old when I was like in the process of really trying to like finish it. And I was in that brain fog, like kind of mentality too. And I was struggling because I was like, I feel like I can't be as like intellectual as I normally am. And like, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I had even asked like a really close friend, like their thoughts on it when I was like trying to rewrite it and rewrite it. And even my friend was like, I think you're rewriting it too much. Like it's, it's starting to sound like, um, you know, not as dark and like uh, intellectual as like, I know you to be. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So I put it aside um, and I just worked on a completely different project. And then every time I come back and think about this project, I'm like, I don't know, like maybe I just need to sit down and like brainstorm a real plot to it rather than Mm -hmm. trying to write by the seat of my pants. I think that's like the big struggle. Mm -hmm. What is it that brings you back to it again and again? So the main, um, the main portion of the story has to do a lot with like eating disorders um, and like the body and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never like, I don't know, I want to write a novel like about that experience um, just because it was such a huge part of my life. And so maybe part of the struggle is because it was such a long-term part of my life you know, that sometimes I feel like I'm going to be forever unraveling, unraveling that question of like what it means to have a body so maybe that's mm. you know like that's a part of it mm-hmm. that was the very opening that you read l no it's like um a part that's probably well maybe it should be the opening <laughs> i don't know yeah no it's like a part that's kind of in the middle is how i envision it like i have a couple other pieces that are like connected to it mm. so i just love the you know where you started with this like cam girl the fact that 
the most surprising part of what you read was the the shopping and like the really quotidian routine back and forth with like the cam routine but then also like there's it's so surprising when oh and we also have the position of the moon here and like it it it, it just it's funny how like the motor on what you read was coming from that back and forth from the very very daily that anyone in the world could relate to and like questioning you know am I even in charge of the decisions I'm making back to the stuff that might be a little bit more like, whoa, risque for some people. But that really, it felt like the motor on it was the the alternating back and forth as opposed to just staying within the cam stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. This reminds me of the other part of your bio that I didn't read. Um, and I'm just going to read it now because I, mm-hmm. I want to talk about it. Um, her writing, uh, Elle's writing and teaching experience is a culmination of learning under Tom Spanbauer, the creator of the Dangerous Writing Workshop in Portland, Oregon, for about two years as she completed her first novel, Animals Eat Each Other. And she follows along in this teaching philosophy that A, good writing has a feel to it, and B, it's imperative to create a space that feels safe within the self or workshop for the writer to unfurl their most vulnerable, heartbreaking work. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, you know, I think you're kind of hitting on, um, like the stuff that you're writing is, is personal. And so, you know, like you're, you're really trying to like unravel that as you go. And it's like a lifelong project. How do you create the, the space, a space that feels safe for you to create work that has a feel to it? Yeah, that's such a good question, especially about like the safe part, because like one thing that I noticed, like, I think early on in my in my own writing, well, even maybe now, and also in like students and stuff that I workshop with, is that sometimes like the scariest stuff will be like tiptoed and circled around in, in fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or like there's just like a difficulty in having, even just in general fiction and having characters like face like their conflict and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in terms of cultivating that safe space for like myself, I've really had to like let go of um like what other people think about me like Mm. even people closest to me Mm -hmm. like it's it's almost like building a personal boundary where I've had to say like this you know this is what I want to do and I'm not going to let anybody control like um like how I feel about it or what I put out I'm not gonna let anybody like shame me Mm. for it Mm -hmm. um and that's been um yeah, like that's been a tough process because early on I used to be like really afraid um, of what like, you know, my friends or family would think or something. And now it's kind of like, well, for me, it's kind of like you can either accept this or you can just not be engaged with me. <laughs> you know, like I've had to like make that determination for myself and like go go to that place, yeah. you know. I love the idea that it's a boundary because when I think about it in terms of, you know, um, my own writing, like I I write a lot from my memory or things that I'm trying to understand in my own life. And it feels like, like I'm approaching other people's boundaries, but I never considered that I myself could have a boundary, you know, like, um, like an ownership of my, of my memory of my experience and, and sort of like, you know, I don't know, defending it in a way. Um, What does that mean? What does what mean? What do you you mean by your own boundary? Can you just give me an example of what you're saying? Are you talking to Elle? Either of you. (laughs) Elle, you go. (laughs) So for me, it's like, I think that it's really easy for people to feel ashamed of or afraid of, for example, their past or um, 
like just things that we've done like we collect these experiences and then like the things that for example we feel shame or have low self-esteem over and stuff Mm -hmm. um I would say like building a boundary around it is like allowing me to like I will let allow myself to determine how I feel about something Mm -hmm. rather than worrying about what other people think and then the other thing too is like the a big thing for me is like the space and time to spend time writing and thinking freely, which is really hard as like a new parent, like having space to think, mm-hmm. like uninterrupted space. Like I've had to negotiate that time and those boundaries um, really clearly um, mm. within my life. And what has been really powerful about being able to negotiate that is like, I literally, it's me literally saying like, no, like, I am worthy enough to like have this time to explore this and like not feeling guilt over it. So I think that's how I feel about that. I see. Do Mm -hmm. you schedule time throughout the day um, for your writing or is it sort of catch as catch can? So yeah, like prior to COVID, I definitely did schedule a lot. Like I um, always woke up really early in the morning um, before my kid was awake and then I would write, um, until she woke up Mm -hmm. and then, um, like she would nap and I would have that time. And then sometimes on the weekends, um, then I would be able to write for like longer periods. Um, or, you know, just like tell my husband, like, Hey, I'm going to like, I'm really on a roll with this. So I'm going to like finish this and it's going to take me a few hours or something like that. Um, now because of COVID, like, and also cause I am staying with my parents, which is like both terrible and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> um, I have a lot more hands around me, like with my kids. So I've been really lucky to just have a, a lot more time to work. So I'm like working from home and, um, there's just like multiple people now that are able to spend time with my daughter, including me. And it is kind of catch as catch can, but I've kind of settled into this really nice, like routine where it's kind of similar. I wake up early. I work until she wakes up. Um, I get her to do her like morning stuff and spend time with her. And then like, if my mom, uh, my mom kind of works a varied schedule. So if she's home, sometimes she'll hang out with my daughter all day. And then I really get this wonderful stretch of time to like, just do what I need to do like work-wise. So that is incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's been, yeah, it's been really nice. It's like, there's parts of it that have been really difficult, but like sure. the time I've been that I have had like this past year, I feel like um, I've just been able to get so much done and I've been really happy and lucky for that. Yes. Definitely. Are you working on this novel um, alone or are you working on other things as well as you're, as you're getting your, your writing done? I'm working on other things as well. So um, like I had like in, you know, I told you I took that break and I just worked on something else. So I had completed like a novel manuscript um, that I like plotted from beginning to end for the first time, you know, like I just kind of like went really methodically with it and finished it. And that took me a couple of years. And um, that's like out on submission right now with mm-hmm. my agent. So I've just been in this like limbo with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, um, I was working on like another different manuscript um about this like girl who becomes obsessed with like this mountain and I like wrote like 10,000 words into that and then I like put that aside I've been like really scattered Mm -hmm. since I've got this project on submission and um then I was like I'm gonna work on some poems so I've been trying to write some poems um but lately I think because over the last 
couple of years, I was working so heavily, like every single day, like almost every single day um, with it, my brain started feeling a little burnt out. So I haven't mm-hmm. been as um, like busy with my own writing as a normal, like I've been editing and teaching a lot, but um, I'm trying to like, just let my brain like take a break. Mm-hmm. And I also feel maybe you guys have experienced this too, but like, I feel because of COVID and like I have been inside so much Mm -hmm. this past year I actually feel a bit like it's harder for me to um pull forth like imagery and Hmm. writing like the way like that I used to and I wonder if it's because my experience has been so similar for the past year it's like wake up sit at your computer take care of your kid you know um I don't know like maybe go for a walk or something um then <laughs> yeah, I totally. Mean, I teen and yeah, yeah. Chris, Kristen Arnett, I think, was talking about that on um on our recent episode where she was like, you know, I used to just like go to the coffee shop and write, and I would just watch people, you know, like, and I and it's like that is so inspiring. Even if that never shows up in your writing later, it's still just like it's food, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like we're not getting that kind of like nourishment as writers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's like, I just, maybe it's like, I took for granted, like how valuable just getting out of the house and like doing things and watching people and yeah, like sitting at a like coffee shop or talking with a friend for an hour in person over food um, is yeah. Cause it's, it's been really interesting. That's the part I definitely relate to. It's just like a conversation with a buddy, you know, getting lunch or something, just something where, you know, you're hearing someone, someone's ideas and it's maybe less structured, you know, like Lindsay and I, I think the reason we have this podcast is basically to build conversations back into our lives Mm -hmm. as a result of this pandemic. But yeah, you know, where someone's just going to say something that potentially could surprise you or spur you down a different way of thinking. Um, yeah, I cannot have one more goddamn conversation about whether or not we can go fishing with my five-year-old. It's cute, but it's also, he starts the conversation over every morning. Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear about the fishing, mom, uh, are we going fishing today? <laughs> um, and I'll tell him exactly when we're going fishing. And it's like the next morning, he's like, mom, when can we go fishing? It's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that too. My toddler, like, it's so weird because like, I think maybe two to three, it's like when they start becoming more social and like she's three heading into four and I just, she's just craving like social experience so much. We'll like hang out with like, um, I have my best, like my best friend has a daughter who is like eight years old and we'll hang out with her once. And then, yeah, like every day she'll be like, are we going to Olivia's? Like, are we going (laughs) to wake up and go? And I'm just like, we can't do that. Like, I know every single day I'm just like, I feel so bad. I want you to have like friends. And (laughs) I know. And it's, it's, it's helpful as a parent too, to be able to be like, go play with your friends. Cause you know. Once again, you can talk to them about fishing. <laughs> yeah. Save the fishing talk for the buddies. Please. Yeah. Elle, is the uh, the novel that you read from, is that one that you have had your agent involved in editorially? Or is it the kind of thing where you're, you're working on it? I know you said you had a buddy reading it and giving you some advice. Are you kind of saving it to and waiting to show to your agent or is it the kind of thing where you guys have been going back and forth or how is how has kind of drafting been now that you have had an agent for a while as opposed to before maybe 
Yeah. So the one that I read from just now, um, my agent hasn't seen it because it's not complete. And I really want to make sure that I get something like um, at least clean to him before so we can like spend less time trying to like edit it and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but... did, you, did you have to edit um, Animals Eat Each Other a bunch with your agent? Um, so I didn't, I wasn't agented when I had animals. Um, yeah. And surprisingly, I feel like, um, Michelle is an amazing editor, but I feel like we didn't really do a ton of drafts, which was actually like really nice. Um, yeah. Um, but this one that's out on sub now, so that experience was really interesting. Um, that's the one that I did work on with my agent. I had like sent him, like kind of the rough draft and then we talked a little bit about plot which was really nice like he helped kind of uh kind of guide me a little bit in that way and then um I think I did like two more drafts sent it back um and then we like he did a lot of edits and then I actually had someone else help me copy edit as well because I was just like really trying to get it as tight as possible like as I possibly could and I learned a lot through that process especially just about how to be economical and understanding like I think there's a difference in terms of what big publishers look for and what indie publishers look for and Mm -hmm. you know like yeah I definitely feel like how people described animals was like raw and like gritty and kind of like full of poetry and this kind of thing and that's like something I think my editor or not my editor my agent was kind of like yeah this this part we have to cut and this part we have to cut like all this kind of stuff and I was like well that's not why people like reading me but I was right. like you know I'm still gonna I liked I like the concept like really was attached to the concept of my book so I was like okay I'm just gonna go with it and like see what happens you know um but it's really interesting just just that difference um of thinking about like what a mainstream publisher wants versus like did, when indie press really likes, you know. Did you feel like you were still able to, was it like um, closing a door, but opening a window? Like the the edits that your agent gave you where he was sort of taking away these things that you felt were signature to you. Did you find ways to still include yourself in that? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, like the Like the plot and like the story itself is, for me, I feel like really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And I, when I began writing it, even I told myself like my goal with this was I want to try to have like a breakthrough book. Like I wasn't, I'm not trying to be like, mm-hmm. what well, everyone would like to be famous, but I'm trying to just get to a larger publisher, you know, like that yes. was my goal. Um, I was focusing on having a really linear plot. I was focusing on like very traditional character development. Like I, that's what I was doing with this specific novel. Um, and I wasn't too worried about like the idea of losing my voice or something like that, because, you know, each novel is like a different project. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, that's just not the container of this novel. This novel isn't necessarily poetic. The point is really like the character and like the story that's being told. So it was like that. Like, I think sometimes I was like a little bit like taken aback. Like I was like, why is he cutting this out? You know, (laughs) my baby. Yeah. When I thought about like my long-term goal with it, you know, um, I was like, I, 
I just, this, I want this to try to be like my breakthrough book. And I have weird things I'm writing all the time and I'm totally comfortable like with those. Um, and I just wanted to see like if I could, cause if I could get one breakthrough book and help like establish me a little more than like, it's just, it, it appears to be easier to get published like further down the road. Like once you have like that one book at like FSG or Penguin or whatever, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's true, but I was like, I'm going to try. I have an agent. That's what they're for is getting totally. into sure. a big four, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when you were talking to him about this, like, were you frank with him? Like, I want this to be my, my next step, my big step up. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely did talk about that. And like, we had that in mind. So, but you know, what's interesting um, is that like, as I was writing through this story, so the first couple of rejections that I got, they all were like really helped, like they all praised the writing and stuff, but a lot of them actually said that they think the story is too dark. And there's a part of me that's like, I'm really pleased with that. I like the idea that the story is disturbing, but the other part of me is like, okay, maybe what I didn't realize was that, um, well, one, no one could have predicted COVID and the market is pretty risk averse right now, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second thing is that, and maybe this is like, I don't know. It's just maybe my personal opinion is that really big books, they tend not to have characters that are super working class. Mm -hmm. Um, And my character is working class. And that was something that like, I was like thinking, I was like, man, if I had like rewritten this with like, maybe like this middle class, like main character who didn't have to worry about her job or something, I kind of wonder if it would be more attractive for some reason. I don't know why, but no, it's totally true. That seems like a valid concern. Yeah. It's like yeah. if you just took your characters and you sent them on a fancy vacation, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you would have a hit. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. And and I thought about that for a while. Like I was like, I wonder if that's what's going to happen is people are, they're not going to connect to the character as much. And now there's this part of me that's like, because um, it's been a while and I've had quite a few rejections and I'm just like waiting. There's a part of me that actually is, I'm, I'm at this point of acceptance. Like I'm like, if this goes like independent press um I'm actually okay with that because I love the book that I have made um I want to talk about working class stories and if that means that like I end up not getting like with a big four or something that's totally fine to me I have like I mean I'm um I'm like how old am I 34 (laughs) I have like years (laughs) ahead of me to continue like working towards a long-term degree like I have or degree or career I have way more um like books in me that I can continue to write and if it doesn't like breakthrough this time like I've actually made peace with it (laughs) that's cool I love what you said too Elle about like some of these reactions you're getting is like okay this is great writing and it's really dark and you know that's that's Elle Nash I mean like so regardless of you know how much you feel like was maybe changed with that project with your agent I mean that sounds like your work I mean your work is of what I have read is typically very dark and it's well written so it sounds Mm -hmm. like you still got your stuff exactly how you wanted it ultimately you know it's cool yeah yeah and and I wouldn't even um like I think I got one rejection that said I could do with the last like 20 pages or something mm-hmm. and the whole like point of that book really is like the ending like my goal <laughs> is like really to be like I have to get these people from the beginning all the way through to the ending it's like the most important piece so for me I'm like if I ever had a publisher who was like sure we'll give you like you know this big deal or whatever but you have to cut the ending I just don't I don't know if I would do it because 
I'm really attached to it. I don't know. What if you cut the ending, but put it in the middle? (laughs) (laughs) Pasted it. (laughs) Or if I just like accepted the deal and then snuck the ending back. Yeah, that's right. I like that idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. Take the deal. Cause it's probably not going to be in the contract that you have to delete those 20 pages yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> and then you can convince your editor. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, I, 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 I firmly believe that like the books that aren't huge, like, you know, the books that aren't about fancy people going on vacation are the ones that linger and are the ones that people remember and, and like fervently love. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and who, you know, the books that people talk about years down the line, um, so it just sucks that, <laughs> that they, they don't get the big deals, you know, like not to say that yours, I, I believe that you will. And I, um, yeah. from what I know of your agent, like, I think you're like in the best hands ever. Definitely. Um, but yeah. I just also want to say like, it's okay to be dark, you know, like we should yeah. be. Also, I completely appreciate you being so frank about this all, because a lot of times this is the kind of talk that you don't really hear out in the open and it's the kind of stuff that you know people message other writers about or you know you kind of and i think sometimes for people who are maybe a little bit newer to submitting or publishing or whatever or just trying to write a damn story it's so Mm -hmm. helpful to just hear someone be so frank about it so thank you yeah Yeah, and also there's like this whole attitude of like oh we're writers because and i don't know that you know that this is still true but it's like we're writers because we're artists but it's also like i need to make fucking money money okay like yeah. <laughs> you know like i want to make a living i want to be paid yeah know, like other creatives get paid definitely yeah no i totally understand i um i spent a long time yeah like thinking about like the like the business of like that uh like just being a writer and all that stuff um and it was like hard to find that kind of information too so i don't know why it's like kept hush hush maybe it's because it's just Maybe it seems less cool to like talk about that stuff. People like to like have these personalities we project, but I think um, that is it. Know it. Yeah. I mean, I think even people are a lot of times hesitant to disclose how they make money, like what their real job is, or like, you know, if if you're not a professor at some fancy university or whatever, if it's not in keeping with, you know, the traditional idea of what a writer is or how a writer makes money. Um, I think people are sometimes hesitant. That's why I always like saying, you know, I just have a normal job and I'm, I'm trying to do it like everybody else. I really, I really relate to everything you were saying. So yeah. So thanks for just being open about that. Yeah. For sure. I always think about um, William, William Faulkner sliding the sound and the fury across the bar and saying, that's the best book you'll ever read. I can't remember <laughs> who he said it to. And then I jumped to a Tessa Moshfag, Moshfag being like, I'm going to write, I think it was with McGlue. She was like, I'm going to write like, this very formulaic book because I want it to be, I want to mimic the successful type of book. Mm. You know, yeah, like she's she very with Eileen. Was it oh, with right. Eileen? It was Eileen? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, I love that book. Um, yeah. And I just think that's so. Like, yes, we should be talking about this more. Like, I am a writer and I am talented, but I also want success. Yeah. Why is that so hard to say? I totally get that. That's actually where. So, um, she wrote that like that article I think that was in the Guardian about finding 90-day novel oh right Uh, yes 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 yeah and that's actually where so that's where I found 90-day novel and I used part of that process to finish the my novel that's on on sub now oh cool yeah um because I wrote the first I wrote like the very first draft of it in like 11 weeks or something like that and then um 
of course i spent like two years then refining it yeah but um i think about that all the time because she is so like fucking prolific like she works she has to be working like crazy hard because she's had like a book come out once a year now for like five years or something mm-hmm. like that or or every two years or something and i just like sometimes when i think about her i'm just like she must just be like just working like constantly like on these different ideas you know yeah and like also advocating for herself for like yes I do want to put a book out this often you know like because I feel like sometimes you're you're counseled not to do that you know like take your time and like don't saturate the market and she just must be like no this is what I want to do and wasn't the most recent one like from earlier wasn't it like something that she had completed and then just had let sit and then she was like ah maybe I want to put that out. I think I, was it death in her hands that what's called I'm not I sure know. I feel I the most the most that. recent one I feel like she I had read something where she was like yeah I just had that I had completed that draft a year or two earlier and I was like yeah maybe this is what I want to put out next I just like to have an entire novel sitting around I was like oh my god that yeah that's maybe, ready to go yeah maybe you're right because I do remember the one previous to death in her hands which i think is my year mm-hmm. she was on the brett easton ellis podcast oh, and right. she said right. that she was talking about her next knock um and having it having like a male character like a male main character oh okay and so when i saw death in her hands come out i was like interesting that's not what the book she was talking about i yeah. wonder if mm-hmm. like pretty out and she's still like working on that one it's crazy just, i just like remember noticing that and i was like hmm <laughs> <laughs> I guess we got some Atessa fans here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this should be the Atessa podcast. No, I've only read the stories. I've, I haven't oh, read wow. any of the novels. Uh, there's some of those stories that I absolutely love. There's that Hollywood story in the in the collection that I, for some reason that one really stuck with me about like the the failed actor. I love that one. Oh, yeah. You should read Eileen. You would love it, Alex. Yeah, I got to check it out. Yes. Well, if you had to describe your writing, um, your writing's feel to take another sentence from your bio. Mm-hmm. what would that be um oh that's such a good question I don't know I my like I would say my goal like my ultimate goal is to make a reader feel like they are drowning like that's what I really <gasps> that's what I really want like good when God. I read like when I read work I get obsessed by a book that makes me feel like engulfed you know like mm-hmm. um, I'm reading um oh gosh what's her name I'm reading this book from amphetamine sulfate right now called uh paresis and then she also wrote a book called genesis zero I'm like what is her name I gotta look it up um I think it's Isabel is it Isabel Naku yeah it's Isabel Naku and like there are two like short little books and I'm just like I read the first one in like two days and I'm on the second one. I'm just like, God, I just feel so engulfed in this like melancholic story. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's like my goal is that's what I want people to like have. And like when I'm editing myself or trying to like teach and workshop with other people, um, like, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, even as a teacher, I'm like, I don't necessarily think that I know anything or I'm like a keeper of knowledge or something. I'm just thinking about like, anytime I feel like something bumps me out of a story, I'm going to like want to edit that and figure out like why it's bumping me out. And that's pretty much like my principle when I come to the page for editing other people or like trying to work on my own work, you know? That's such a great way of putting at it. I, um, I think I was, uh, Stanley Kunitz, I think used to edit Marie Howe. Mm. Stanley. Oh man. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but, um, 
she said that he could just look at the page and 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 say there right there and you would just be like fuck and it's kind of what you're talking about like like okay this is taking me out and why figuring that out you know yeah yeah how do you feel when you when the writing is good when you're writing and it's good do you feel like you're drowning yeah it's like a little bit of like euphoria in a way you know like, do you ever like look back old drafts and like read something and you're like, damn, I wrote that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes it surprises you a little. You're yes. like, you feel good about yourself and you're like, dang, I really did come far. Like I've done good, you know? So it's it's like a state of flow, like when you're really getting into something, um, mm-hmm. like when you're working on it and like you know that you're doing like really good, like when you're not frustrated with it and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I always, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think I usually think who wrote this. I I have, (laughs) I have a hard time of like even accessing the person who wrote anything from the past. I don't know. I I think I I can remember the room that I was in because I feel like, especially with longer stuff, it's, it, it becomes so routine where you're trying to get through it, but I'm always like, who the fuck wrote this? (laughs) You're like sloughing off your dead skin every time you write. Exactly. Like a snake. Yeah. Yeah. You're like a shiny little wet. Yeah. Like a tiny insignificant snake. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I think especially as a parent too, like, I feel like it's weird because it's, I'm trying to like imagine what my life was like before having a kid. And I'm just like, yeah, it's like, there's like this weird, like an iron door or something where you're like, I'm trying to access you, but like, it's hard to remember sometimes. Definitely. I pretended for so long that I wasn't different. And like, then eventually I, (laughs) it was like acceptance, you know, like, like, oh, your brain literally changes. Okay. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, I actually like there there's this weird there was this weird thing that happened for me like right after my kid was born and I was like breastfeeding and like all this stuff where it's like you get like engulfed with like the the, the child's like needs like the baby's needs and so you become really in tune with them but you kind of start to like lose yourself a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then trying to like find my way like back to it's like I'm definitely not like the same person that I was, but it took me a long time to come to a place where I was like I'm still like my own person and I'm not just I'm not like just the mom which I kind of like hate saying that too because I think that being a mom is really powerful like being a parent is really powerful and it's Mm -hmm. not like to denigrate that identity by any means um but you're sort of talking like you're talking from like an outside perception because I think that all the time too like oh these people think I'm just a mom because just a mom to them is this trope that they don't understand because they're not a parent right like yeah so I get that too you know like I I feel like I you know we've talked about this before like when I'm having conversations with other people I'm like yes I I stay home with my children and I'm a writer you know like you're just like trying to assert your identity in any way that you can or show that you're you know you're more than just this one thing even though this one thing is super powerful and important and great you know Totally. Like when I remember like kind of during the first year and stuff, one thing it was, I was like, I was really grateful for having like my creative pursuit because I did feel like it helped me like tether to something outside of motherhood that helped me still like feel 
good about like myself and stuff. Yes. But there's also like, so for a while I was living in like Northwest Arkansas and it is, it is, I mean, it's a liberal part of the state because there's a college and like that kind of stuff, but it is pretty conservative. There's a lot of charismatic Christians and that kind of thing. And I would go to like these mom groups at the library where like they have like baby story time and try to get Mm -hmm. to know their moms. Um, There was like, you know, there was another mom on my street who, gosh, like she would invite me to her Bible study. And I was like, this is tough because I'm not a Christian. Sometimes Mm -hmm. she would invite me with her other mom friends. And like some of them wouldn't even talk to me because I like got tattoos and we're black and we're crop tops and like stuff like that. They're more like very traditional, you know, and but like. They were also all stay-at-home mothers and there, I was always like um, kind of inspired and a little bit like jealous of their kind of satisfaction with um, fulfilling and being like a stay-at-home parent and like, like only that. And like, they always seem to, and of course it's looking from the outside, but they always like seemed very like happy and had it together, like didn't seem very melancholic, like um have strong community ties and all kinds of stuff like that and I was like like that to me was really powerful too but I was also like there's a part of me that I was like I'm definitely not that person I'm definitely more melancholic I struggle so my creative pursuit was kind of like the thing that kept my mental health like sane (laughs) during that time you know Mm. Yeah, yeah I mean I some of that I feel like it has to be denial right like I remember um seeing um, a Mormon family member pin this article on Pinterest and she has lots of kids and it was like, Oh, this like rage or anger or loneliness you feel as a mother, that's Satan coming in oh. and like trying to, you know, Satan's whatever. And, here. <laughs> um, and I remember like just feeling so desperately sad about that because, because you can't project those things if you're a mother, right? Like you can't, you're not allowed to, because you're supposed to be fulfilled by this ultimate role. Um, yeah. You know, and they've been, we've all been telling it ourselves that for, you know, generations for since ancient times. Yeah. Um, so it's like that. I, I, I always feel triggered by people who, who don't show the darker side of themselves because it can't be, it can't be, it just can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I always wonder that. Cause it's, quite, it's like, of course I'm like looking, you know, yeah. like from the outside like, in. Does anyone else so feel like, the way mm. I feel? Yeah. 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 I know. It's super curious. Sarah Peterson just wrote about mothers on Instagram and Instagram is like a huge culprit. Oh, of yeah. what I we're saw this about. article. Yeah. Yeah. And it was about mothers who are like, um, like embodying Victorian era mothers, like in their imagery oh, wow. and like, um, and in their, you know, fulfillment in the imagery of being a mother. Um, well, like, how so? like, what do you mean? Just like they're mimicking these Victorian era images of motherhood. So like mm-hmm. there's the, um, like the mother, like pouring like a, 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 like a dish of water onto her ch- child's foot, you know, like very like mm-hmm. um, pure, almost like Madonna and child-esque portraits of just right. simple, like, mother and child you know like this is what this is what my role is and this is you know and and mothers on Instagram are doing this you know like and and it's it's one of very many things that mothers on Instagram are doing to show you know like motherhood as their main their main jam in life but Mm um it's just so interesting because it's even in that there's like a searching right like there's there's an assertion of self there you know and that's a that's I mean I remember Alex Tanner had that 
article about Mormon mothers on Instagram. Yes. And, and really like reading that and even thinking about the, the recent one you're just talking about, like that is the outlet. That's the form of expression. That's the creativity in some way, mm. like the performative aspect on Instagram, but God, that stuff is dark. It is <laughs> dark. Is... It's all humble brags, right? Like yeah. and that is so not that humble, not that humble either. <laughs> I mean, it's right. like, it's you're like, right. it's like forefronted. It's uh, it's really wild. Somebody's going to write a token, great, I... great novel about that. Oh, totally. In the same token, I feel like um, I also feel solidarity with with these mothers because mm-hmm. it's like I can, you know, like we all have that in common, I guess. But. I think it's cool that both of you have said extremely generous statements about <laughs> these groups of mothers that are, I mean, Elle made the comment about almost feeling jealous of their um, comfort with their at least yeah. uh yeah i don't want to put words in your mouth but just there was there was some respect there at least and i mean i don't know what Lindsay just said Jeez, i just <laughs> i don't know you guys are much more generous than i am i'm just like what the fuck is this because know, i'll so. tell you why and anytime i have felt any judgment about a parent or about mm-hmm. a mother's choice i have inevitably had to make that choice at some point and i've Ooh, been like i know yeah oh. that's actually i know so like recently I was reading some, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember the post. I was reading some like, am I the asshole thread on like Reddit mm-hmm. about this? Um, oh, this, this friend has a mother with three kids and she was over there and the friend, this, the poster, like she's like married, but has no children. And she's like, kind of, she was judging, like the father was like kind of stern with the kids. And so the mom was like, I think this man is abusive and abusing the children. And I just looked at my friend and told her, I can't believe you let him get away with this. You're a bad parent. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I know. I was like, it's, it's like, there are, yeah. When you make a judgment, like on another parents, like you just don't know because childhood is like parenthood is like so unpredictable Mm -hmm. you know like you could judge a parent for being like I would never let my kid do that like in public or whatever and it's like guess what in a year and a half they're gonna do it (laughs) in public and you just you have to like let go of like your expectation of it and there are lots of preconceived notions that people have um about being a parent until they they experience it because I definitely like had my own thoughts on what it was like to be a parent before I became one definitely and then over like even um when she was first born I was like yeah I'm gonna do the Montessori thing I'm not gonna have any plastic toys um there's gonna be like no sugar for like the first two years like I was like that kind of parent and then (laughs) like really crazy about pesticides and stuff like that and like now now I'm kind of like um, yes, you're gonna have like your third piece of candy for lunch. It's fine. Oh my god! Like, you Same haven't candy. even eaten breakfast yet. It's whatever. <laughs> my kids are like, "What? When's screen time? When's candy time?" Because they know they get yeah. screen time and candy time every day. It's yeah. like you know. And I remember thinking, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna be the person who posts pictures of her kid on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not gonna be. And it's like every mom goes through that. And then the kid, the baby's born, and the mom starts going, "I'm sorry, I won't. I won't keep posting like this. I promise, I won't keep." And then it's just like you give in, <laughs> you know, it's just like, first of all, we want to see the baby pictures. So yeah, give it to say, us. I, yeah. I love seeing people's kids pictures. There should be <laughs> zero guilt about that. It's like, these kids are so happy running around. I love seeing that. It's fine. 
I know, especially like newborns and stuff. Every time I look at like a newborn or a baby who's younger than four months old, my brain goes like, oh my God, so cute. Do you remember when Wednesday was that little? And then and then what happens is I go, that's a fucking trick. Don't have an phone right now. It's a biological trick. <laughs> Your body is lying to you. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'm like, I'm like, you are already tired. You are already stretched. You need to wait. Oh my God. Yeah, at least until she's in school. And then you can think about it, maybe. Uh, my husband and I were like, we'll, tr- we'll try one time to have another child. And then we got pregnant with our second immediately. Yeah. And then got pregnant with our third while I had an IUD. So it's like, <gasps> your body will betray you. Oh, yeah. God. But yeah. in the best way possible. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's really hard. It's really hard. But then like, like, um now since Wednesday's three and a half she can like have her own conversations and her own thoughts and she makes up stories and I think like even with all her tantrums and stuff that are ongoing right now I think the thing that is so like so wonderful and so cute is like in the evening she'll come like cuddle with us while you watch tv and then she'll just be like I love you mom or something (laughs) or like she says she has this thing she's doing now she's like mama it's like the way she says it and I'm just like (laughs) my god it's so cute but also really annoying but so cute i know you're not gonna say it this way forever so i'm just gonna like treasure Uh, it god it really is feeling all of those things at exactly the same time like i'm gonna scream but i love you yeah yeah i know so have you been able to how are you guys doing with like are you able to write at all right now like how do you guys manage it well alex so this is like, I was going to bring this up earlier. Like Alex is in the middle of editing with his agent and oh. my, one of my books is out on submission. And in the meantime, I'm writing this new novel. And um, I saw Matt Bell tweet about this the other day where it was like, he has a book coming out and he thinks the best thing to do when that's happening is to be very deep into a new project. Mm. And I've never done that before. Um and who knows what will happen with the book that's out on submission, but I really appreciate having a project that I'm working on that isn't this thing that's out on submission or like, I'm not really think, you know, I don't have to like think deeply about it because if I think deeply about it, like I'll cry and scream and pray and beg. And, you know, like, it's just nice to be like, well, I have this other thing that I'm also working on. Kind of what you were talking about, Elle, like while you're, you know, your novel's out on submission, like you're working on all this other stuff. So it's like, yeah and make peace with you know with what's like happening trying to forget about it I know but yeah I think Alex is in a break I'm speaking for you Alex I'm sorry Alex is in a break mm-hmm. from writing and I'm working I mean, on a new thing yeah I'm still editing the the novel I'm, I'm towards yeah. the end though I have like another week or two and I'm done I okay. so yeah I feel I have like a the punch list is down to like less than a page so I'm, I'm really close I f- I'm ready to be done nice <laughs> yeah yeah super close yeah yeah um Lindsay since you have a few more like books out I feel like you're a bit more like um like veteran style (laughs) what is the has the submission process changed for you like since um having like your first couple of works published or what has that been like yeah it's it's very different right now because um well my last book didn't earn its advance out and so that's Mm -hmm. bad Um, you know, like when you're submitting a new book, the publishers are going to look at your sales and be like, oh, she doesn't, Mm. she doesn't sell that well. Um, and I've always been able to rely on the relationship I had with my editor at FSG, but she's no longer at FSG. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
yeah, so it's very different. Um, and I've been really fortunate to like collaborate on, on like how we're going to talk about this new book with my agent. Um, but I, I really don't know. I really don't. It's, it's kind of scary. It's kind of a crapshoot, not a crapshoot. It's a long shot is what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like new territory in a way, almost like, like when you're kind of like a debut, it's like, you have to really struggle to like convince other people that it's like worth it in a way. Yeah. 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 Cause that they're going to, especially like you were saying, like right now everyone's very risk averse and they want to win, you know? Yeah. And so it's going to be hard to be like, I feel like I, I have a name that people know and I feel like, you know, I can, I have that, but I don't have the sales to back it up. So. Everyone's saying no to Lindsay, just absolutely get fucked. By That's the way. right. <laughs> so give me a break. Here's a question I'm curious about too. Right. So um, I had talked to one author this year who said that their first book didn't sell. I think it was a collection of stories. And so, or maybe it was a novel. And so they actually just like, put it aside like they just kind of like let go of it would you ever like give up on a book or would you for me I think like for example like if I had a book that didn't sell that I would just try like my hardest to even find like the smallest indie pub like wouldn't you or would would you just like put it aside no I would not put it aside I I wouldn't yeah I would absolutely not fuck no (laughs) because it's so much work yeah it is and I and I actually I I love the book that's out on submission right now like I I absolutely love it and like it's something that I would want to read. So I have a lot so of, so like, you too, Lindsay. Hope. I mean, this one is like, oh. so you, I wish I could God, that it. means the world to me because, because oh I, I want it to be so me. So I don't know. So I, I did tell my agent, like, cause I loved working with um, Featherproof who put out my first book. Like yeah. I'd be, and I actually have a, he has, I have a finished collection, a new collection of stories as well. And I, and I was telling him like, I'd love to get that published on a small press. Cause you can't get that. <laughs> like no big publisher is going to be like, yes, a collection of flash. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but even so I just think like indie presses do better with them anyway. Um, so yeah. no, I would, I, I would absolutely be open to that um, to any, like I, I just, I love small presses. I love indie presses. So um, I just really love this book and I would, I just want it out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I totally we'll get that. Um, I know. I remember when I first started talking to my agent and he said that short story collections don't really sell. And I was like, okay, well um, I was talking to Elizabeth and she was like, I want to put out a book. And I was like, okay, let's do some, let's see what I have. <laughs> like, yes. and I'll put together a collection because if it's not going to be at a big press, that press anyway, like I'd rather just, I want to do the weird stuff indie like mm-hmm. um I have mm-hmm. a really short experimental novella coming out at some point like with um another small press and I'm like yeah no big publisher is ever going to take a 20,000 word like experimental novella so right. I just want to like stay indie sometimes too you know we just learned about novelettes have you heard of no- a novelette <laughs> no, what is what is Shannon that? Shannon McLeod told us about it um I had it's like 10,000 words isn't that like a chat book or is it really I like guess. a novelette? Sure. She said it was a novelette. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, is that her? Is that whimsy that's out? That's is she. No, that's it. That okay. So that's a novella. She oh, originally novella. called it a novella in stories, but um, Long Day Press was like, let's just call it a novella because <laughs> people aren't going <laughs> to want to buy a novella in stories. Um, but yeah, novelette. That's a thing. 
Interesting. I love short books. They make me feel so productive. I'm like, I read yes. as well, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I am trying so hard to like get through Moby Dick, but the idea that it's like 120 <laughs> chapters or something like that, I'm just like, I can't. It's so tough for me to like sit down and pay attention. I really book, want to. That book's Great so much book. better reading with a group, I think. Oh, yeah. You, you need to be able to like talk about it. And, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the few like big canonical books that I feel like when I pick it up, I'm like, okay, I'm with it. Like this, I'm really tracking right away. It feels very modern. I feel like as opposed to some other stuff that I people. Am, yeah, I am surprised at the modern feel of the language. I mm-hmm. felt that way with Frankenstein as oh, well. Really? I'm obsessed with that book, and for some reason, it was just I was worried that because of like my short attention span, I was like, I'm not gonna like it. But the language and it feels like. I don't know. It's just really immediate. I loved it. Awesome. I read it in I high school. I haven't that read it since. Yeah. I have never read that. I read Anna Karenina um, years ago and remember thinking the same thing like, oh, wow, I don't hate this. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I understand it. Why yeah. did I wait so long? Anyway, books. All right, Elle, we're going to release you All right. into the world. It's been wonderful talking with you. This has been like great this thanks so much fantastic. for coming on yeah, yeah when when is nudes coming out so it's a surprise oh, yeah okay. um like hopefully <laughs> soon you know how like taylor swift i guess like dropped a surprise album or something yes. it's kind of like that i don't oh. know when even so i even oh, awesome. if i wanted to say i couldn't we'll find out just keep like an eye on like twitter <laughs> i love instagram. that idea yeah cool. like, see. <laughs> so. nice yeah. So yes, everybody follow Elle on Twitter so you can stay up on Yeah, nudes. it's sad erotica. <laughs> At sad erotica. I really appreciate how open she was. Yes, that was so good. We talked about so many things that I've been wanting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Next time we have Elle on, I'm going to talk about how She's the only Colorado author we've had on. Whoa. I know. Is Dan Sean in Colorado? I don't think so. Maybe. Is he in the Pacific Northwest? We should have Dan Sean on. He'd be great. Sure. I have from, him in my He's from I, Nebraska. I can text him. I have his phone number. Oh, jeez. <laughs> have I told you my Dan Sean story? No. Oh, my God. This is so funny. First AWP I ever went to, the only one I've been to when I was in Chicago, whenever that was. And I saw Dan Sean walking by and I was like, oh my God. And I had just read whatever the fuck that novel is. No, no, one of the earlier ones. Anyway, he's walking by. I was all excited. And I really love, I love his work. I was like, oh shit. So he's, he's walking by and I go, Dan Sean. And he stops, he turns around and I, I didn't know what to say. Cause it was like, I was just so excited. Like just fucking nerding out that a real writer had walked by. And that what I told him was, uh, my dad's from Nebraska. <laughs> and he he looked at me, smiled, and then just kept walking. <laughs> oh, that's similar to my Brian Evanson story. He oh, read at a he read at Quickie Chicago. Maybe it was the same um AWP because it was an AWP event. And um and I love him and and he's a former Mormon, right? Like he was excommunicated from the Mormon church, and so was my father. And I said this, like, I, I was like, oh, thank you so much for reading here. You know, you and my dad would have so much to talk about. And he was like, uh, okay, thanks for making me feel old, you idiot. 
And like an hour passed by before I realized what I had done. <laughs> I went over and clarified. I was like, because you're both ex-Mormon. And he was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I love that you went over and clear, like did a follow-up. Yeah, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't let that stand. Oh my God. Well, I did ask our friend, Elisa Gabbard, for a poem. Yes. I was like, send me something to read. She and, is uh, our, um, the hell's the word? I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> You know, like when there's like a rooster. Or like, you were going to say doula. Oh, well, I guess. I don't know. We're like her doula because we're birthing her poem. Well, this is not, it's not her poem. It's oh. just a poem. So maybe mascot. she's like. Mascot. Mascot. Mascot? Yeah, because she's our, she's our, po- she's our poetry mascot. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's great. I'm sure she's going to love that. <laughs> I, oh man, that's like me telling. Is this like as insulting as me telling Brian Evanson, "Oh, my dad would have a lot to say to you"? No, because the difference is Elisa knows we're fans. Uh, okay, good. All right, so this is a poem that I haven't read yet that I'm going to read for the first time right now by a writer named John Woodward, and the poem is called "Salamander." Mm. The janitor asked me how to pronounce the creature's name, and I said "Salamander" for him. He looked at it on the screen, and I looked at him. Slide your legs into its tail, I said. I can't, he said, as he did. Dish your guts there into its cavity of guts. I can't, he said, manifestly untrue, for he did so. Mash the thing's name and yours, I said, together into that irreversible hole I know you keep. And he did, and it broke over his face, and it flowed, water from the earth. I can't, I can't, he said. Holy shit. Yeah, she's pretty good at picking poems. Oh, my gosh. Also, the word salamander is beautiful. It is. Wow. Forthcoming One. in two years, my novel, Salamander. salamander. <laughs> I was going to say, my broken brain takes a beautiful word and puts it on the back of a jersey. So I could just, like, picture salamander arching over the back of, like, a 33. Salamander is our mascot. <laughs> Did you get any work done this week? Hell yeah, brother. Cool. I sure did. Um, yeah, and it got weird, and I love that. Nice. You know, where it just like pivots, and you're like, what did I just do? <laughs> and Alex and I exchanged our books, and we're reading each other's books right now. We did. Just telling you, the listener, that. Yes. Um, and True. Uh, your book is wonderful so far. Thanks, Sam. I'm excited for you to send it out and get yep, yep, six yep, to yep. seven figs. Oh, seven figs? Yeah. I'll take three figs, four <laughs> figs, a fig. <laughs> no, you will not take a figure. Big Newtons, whatever. Are you reading anything good right now? I am. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm reading a Tin House book. So, of course, it's cool. good. It's called The Whispering House. It's by Elizabeth Brooks. Oh, I keep seeing this on Instagram everywhere. Yeah, it just came out. I don't know if it was out in the UK before. Okay. Um, but it, so my favorite kind of um, horror movie is what I call people in chunky knits running for their lives. Mm. And this is the equivalent of that in book form. Whoa. So like, it's super like, like creepy. And you know how you can like see the danger before the main character can see it. And you're like, you idiot, go. <laughs> it's just delicious. So I'm, I'm very wow. much enjoying that. Yeah. 
And Ben awesome. finished that Matthew Norman book. And I'm going to read that next, I think. Normcore, sure. Normcore, yep. Um, but yeah, that's it. Nice. What about you? Any reading right now? No, no reading. Okay. All right. All right, that's it. We did it. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. <laughs>